the Apostle Paul, he made about a ba- as bad a first impression in the Scripture as a person can make. The first time, if you know this story, the first time we meet the Apostle Paul, he's referred to as Saul, and in Acts chapter 7, he is taking part in a bloodthirsty mob who is stoning and killing the first Christian martyr, a man named Stephen. Paul is right there in the thick of it, heartily approving of the killing of this precious man and this great witness of Christ. Well, some chapters later, Acts 22, which I mentioned, the shoe is on the other foot entirely. We see Paul, years later, Paul is now surrounded by an almost identical angry mob, and now he is being threatened. They're seeking to kill him, because Paul is now preaching the very faith he once sought to destroy. It's one of the most dramatic transformations we see in all the Bible, and it's one of those things that we have to understand so that we can explain. How in the world can such a reversal happen? That Paul, in in one scene, the first scene where we meet him, he's so violently against Christ and his people, only to then turn around and be willing to risk his own life for Jesus. Well, in Acts 22, Paul is given the unique opportunity to stand and quiet the crowd and speak. And when he speaks, he doesn't try to justify his uh, message so much as he simply shares his testimony as as, as an explanation of how I got here. How do you explain this reversal? Well, here he does. And it's, it's important for us as we study Galatians 1 today that we look at Acts 22 first. And so I'm going to read, this is a, a fairly prolonged scripture here, but it reads as narrative and it's very important for us to grasp. Paul's story is given from his own mouth. So Acts 22 beginning in verse 3. Let's hear him explain himself. Paul begins by saying, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, Jerusalem, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. I persecuted this way, the way of Christ, to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons, as also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify. From them I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. But it happened that as I was on my way, approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me saw the light, to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. But since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. A certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing near said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very time I looked up at him. And he said, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will 
and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Uh, That is more than likely, that's the most dramatic, most famous conversion account in all of human history. Paul's conversion to Christ. And this is a story that Paul uh, refers to often, both in the book of Acts and also in his own letters. We're going to see it again in Galatians 1 today. But it's not just a story for the sake of recounting his own history. It's a story that has a purpose to it. When Paul shares his own experience, first he does it to explain himself, as he does in Acts 22. How in the world do you explain how I got this way? How did I end up from point A to point B? From an enemy of the church to now an apostle risking his life for the gospel. Well, it's because the risen Jesus came to me and divinely appointed me. But not only that, Paul's testimony also shows us how the gospel works. How the grace of God actually intervenes and changes a person. See, Paul preached a salvation that he had experienced at the deepest level. It wasn't theory that he shared in an academic setting. It was real life transformation. And so I want to go ahead and tease out our main point for today. If you are a Christian, the details of your own conversion may be highly dramatic, or they may be kind of frankly boring, (laughs) at least in your own estimation. But it doesn't really matter. It makes no difference what the details are, because salvation is always a glorious miracle. Salvation is a miracle regardless of whether you had a dramatic experience with Christ, or a very mundane experience. The truth is, your redemption, just like Paul's, is an unmistakable and deeply personal work of God. And that means that your testimony, your story, just like Paul's, has infinite value, eternal value. And so as we look at his account today, I want us to consider our own. Because the same grace that saved Paul has also come to us, all right? So Galatians 1, the latter half of this chapter, it's going to read a little bit like Acts 22. It's autobiographical. Paul is going to tell us a large portion of his story. And the reason, at least one reason for this is, uh, related to something we saw last week, the credibility of Paul and his message are on trial here. People are trying to dispute that he's a legitimate apostle. And so part of his point in Galatians 1 is to explain himself and to show forth that he's the real deal. He's a qualified messenger of Jesus. So look with me at Galatians 1, verse 11. In verse 11, Paul says, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul is getting back to the part of the point that... that you know, um, that brought this letter into existence. He has preached the gospel in the region of Galatia. People got saved. Churches were born. Wonderful. But after he left, false teachers came in behind him, and they were trying to discredit Paul and also distort his message. 
These men, we saw this last week, they were trying to add the works of the law on top of the gospel of God's grace. They were saying belief in Jesus is good, but it's not enough to really save you. You've got to keep the law of God in order to be accepted by God. Grace is not enough. And further, they were casting doubt on Paul himself, Paul's claim to apostleship. They were saying things that were, that were obviously true. Paul never really met Jesus. He wasn't one of Jesus' disciples in the same way that guys like Peter and James and Thomas, those guys were. He never met him. He never followed him in his earthly ministry. And in fact, Paul, after the resurrection, Paul was an enemy of the church. He was trying to squash the Christian movement in its infancy. And so it was an easy sell for these false teachers to say, this man's an imposter. He's not the real deal. At best, he got his message from the real apostles and then twisted it to fit his own agenda and went rogue. You can't trust what Paul has to say. And y'all, as much as the Galatians received Paul to begin with, now in his absence, they're starting to wonder. They're starting to second guess. Maybe these guys have a point. And so Paul would rather not have to defend himself, but he's willing to do it for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the faith of these Christians. And that's why he says, you see it in verse 11 again, the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. I did not get this message secondhand, not even from the most prominent apostles. Rather, I received the gospel message directly and divinely from Jesus. And y'all, this is an important, this is a sticking point for Paul. He's not willing to just let this go. He's not claiming here some kind of private mystical experience that only he can verify. I'll just tell you now, if, if, a, if a person com, comes into church on a Sunday and beforehand, you know, kind of takes me by the arm and says, hey, God spoke to me and I want to share it with everybody. I'm not giving that guy a microphone, right? I, I'm just generally skeptical of stuff like that, all right? We need to verify first before I let you talk to the church. Um, and so it could be, of course, Paul's word against theirs. Who's to say if Paul really encountered Jesus? But his testimony is well established. right? He's not just throwing stuff against the wall to see what will stick. Everybody knows his story, and he affirms it in verse 13. The Galatians know. You have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. Now, maybe you've dealt with this in your own personal experience. All of us have sin in our past that we're ashamed of. In our present too, I'm sure, by the way. But in our past, you know, before Jesus came into my life, I did some things that, man, I, frankly, I, I just don't like to talk about or even think about. That was certainly true for Paul. There's a, there was a lot that happened in his life that, that he uh, was, in some sense, ashamed of. He just recounts it to us. Why would he bring it up? Why is he so quick to bring up his past persecution of the church, especially when his detractors, his enemies, were using that against him? This is one of the reasons he's disqualified, they said. Look at what he used to be. 
But Paul brings it up, I think, to show us something really amazing, both for him and for us. Rather than his past sins disqualifying him, they actually support his message and his ministry. Rather than Paul's past sins disqualifying him, they actually support the legitimacy of his message and his ministry. Consider, y'all, what Paul is is saying about himself right here. There was a time, he says, when I was extremely zealous for God and for the law and for Jewish tradition. Paul lived and breathed religious devotion. There's not a person in this room more zealous than Paul was at his peak. He was highly educated. He was highly motivated. He was consumed with pride for his spiritual heritage. So much so that when this new Jesus movement came along and sprung up in Jerusalem, Paul saw this as an imminent threat to true Judaism. This is a false Messiah, he said, that many people claim Jesus had had died for our sins and risen from the dead. May it never be. And so Paul did everything he could to squash this movement in hopes that it would never get off the ground, even if it meant imprisoning and even killing Christians in the process. Because Paul saw himself as protecting the traditions. He also saw himself as protecting the reputation of God because he simply would not believe that God would send his son into the world the way he did. Paul was God's soldier, dead set on hunting down Christians and destroying this movement. And so on the road to Damascus, Paul wants us to understand he wasn't on a slippery slope to Jesus already. It's not that Paul was experiencing his own little crisis of conscience, wondering if what he was doing was really right or wrong. He wasn't second-guessing his commitment to Judaism. He wasn't reconsidering whether Jesus might really be the Messiah. Paul was dead set against all of it. He was fully committed to persecuting this way to the death, he says. But there on that road, in the twinkling of an eye, everything changed. And this is how Paul reflects on it now. Look at verse 15. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Let's stop right there. When God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me. Y'all notice this. Now, Paul's testimony to this point has been entirely self-referential. First person, I, I, I. I was a Jew. I was educated. I was zealous. I advanced beyond my contemporaries. I persecuted the church. And then in verse 15, something happens. Something changes. But God. God set me apart. God called me through his grace. God revealed his son in me. What could possibly explain a reversal like we see in the Apostle Paul from staunch persecutor of the church to now an apostle of Jesus Christ overnight? Only the miraculous hand of one who set me apart from birth and called me through his grace and revealed his son in me. Only God could explain what happened to Paul. 
And so he's willing to share his past life, hard as it is to, to, to bring back up, hard as it is for him to remember, filled with regret as he may be. Because it gives us a picture of transforming grace, which is the message that he delighted to preach. He was a living embodiment of the gospel. Now, Paul, of course, has, there's a uniqueness that he experienced in this call that we'll get to in a moment. But I want us to see, you and me, that, that we actually share in much of what Paul is describing here. And we should reflect on this and celebrate it with great frequency. Remember, I said earlier that Paul's, Paul's testimony is not just an explanation of what the gospel is, but also how it works, how it comes to us, what it does in us. Remember what Paul just said, God set me apart far in advance. God called me through his grace, and God revealed his son in me. Y'all, these are the miracles of every Christian testimony. These are not unique to Paul. He experienced them uniquely on the Damascus Road, blinding light from heaven, audible voice of Jesus. But every single one of us can attest to the very same grace coming to us by faith in Christ. That God sets us apart and calls us. Y'all, it, there's nothing you ever did to get yourself onto God's radar. There's nothing you ever did to attract God's attention through your own good works or your religious activities. That's not how grace operates. You don't get halfway to God and then he finishes the rest. No, we're sinners. We can't get onto God's radar unless God sets his love and affection upon us. And y'all, on the flip side of that coin, there's no amount of sin in your past that could have somehow wrecked your chances with God. Your good works didn't earn you in and your bad works, your sins, cannot shut you out. Because God's grace comes to us without any respect for your worthiness to be saved. Any more than it did Paul's. Was Paul worthy to be saved? Remember, Paul was actively and hatefully fighting against Jesus. He was doing everything he could to crush Jesus and those who followed him. And yet God's gracious purpose still prevailed. And all of us share that very same testimony. Your good works could not save you, and your sins could not prevent you from salvation. Because God saves us entirely by grace. It's an unmerited gift, which he has given us in his son, Jesus. And nothing pleases God more than to reveal his son to us and in us. You notice that? Paul says, when God was pleased to reveal his son in me. Don't you think God would have been mad at Paul for all that he was doing against God's work in the world? He was pleased to reveal Christ to Paul, the one he had set apart and called by his grace. And so, y'all, I want to come back around to something I mentioned a minute ago. The power of your personal testimony is not in the details. I'm willing to bet you that my story is more boring than yours. It's entirely mundane. You know, I'm tempted to make stuff up just to make it sound more dramatic than it really was, right? I mean, I don't know if you've ever dealt with that temptation. Make me seem worse, you know, than I was. I was a nice kid, and I grew up in church, and I got saved alone in my bedroom. I mean, there's just nothing very exciting about it all. Does it matter, though? 
I mean, some of us, listen, if you have a dramatic testimony, praise God, God will use that. But if you don't, praise God, he'll use that too. Because the true nature of your testimony is when I turns to he. Whatever I was or wasn't before I met Christ, everything changed when he called me through his grace. And if you have trusted in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you should never discount your testimony. You should never shy away from sharing what he has done for you and in you because it's a miracle. Every salvation is a miracle. And sometimes it's the most mundane stories that, that, are, that, that are best resonated with because most of us live fairly normal average lives. Right? Maybe a dramatic story would cause someone to think, you know, I can't relate to that. I'm not, you know, I'm not that far gone. But then my story might connect, right? Because Jesus is the center of each one. It doesn't matter in the end what the details are. You simply put him on display front and center where he belongs and celebrate what he has done for you. Because that's the saving grace that not only brought you to God, but will bring others to God as well. Paul wants to show forth Christ. That's all he cares to know, what he's done for me. I turns to he, and nothing was ever the same. Now, I want us to, to come back to the narrative here. Remember that, that Paul's, you know, Paul's testimony of salvation is kind of conjoined with his calling as an apostle. They both happened in concert together. And so he's not just telling us how he was saved, but also how he was called into ministry. Remember Jesus in Acts 22, when Jesus is speaking to Paul, Paul's blind there, laid out on the road, wondering how this could be happening to him. And Jesus says, I want you to go into Damascus for what you have been appointed to do. God's already got Paul's plan mapped out here. And specifically, we see it's to be a witness of the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, this is what Paul's detractors were disputing. They were saying, no, Paul's message is some twisted version of the, the real message that he's heard from the apostles. And so Paul's defense in the middle of verse 16 is, now here's how it really happened. Right after he was saved, verse 16, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, that's Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. So Paul's point in this, in, in giving us such fine detail of his travels, of his history, is this. The grace that saved me is the same message of grace I've always preached from day one. I did not receive it from any man. I received it directly from the Lord. And Paul understands it's his word against theirs. Right? It's hard to verify. There was no video evidence available. But he's simply counting on the Galatians, one, to trust him and his own credibility, but two, just do the math. I mean, do the math. From the time I encountered Jesus on the road and was baptized by Ananias, I went right out preaching the grace of Jesus. That was long before I ever met any of the other apostles. 
I was living and preaching as one of them. And my message has always been identical to theirs. That's, that's uh, Galatians 2, we'll see that next week. Same message. How is it that Paul could have the same message of Peter and James and John had they never met? Well, only if the risen Lord revealed himself to them both. Only if God actually commissioned Paul as he did them. And that's Paul's point. Do the math. I was preaching this gospel before I ever met those guys. And the best summary of this is actually in 1 Corinthians 15. And it's a good summary, one, because Paul gives us the gospel, but he also shows us the nature of this revealing of Christ and commissioning of the apostles. So just, just sit and listen to this and get a sense now of what Paul's showing us. He's speaking this to the church in Corinth, but it's the same message he's giving to Galatia. This is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep or died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Paul is saying, I share in apostleship with these men, and it doesn't matter ultimately who preached the gospel to you whether it was me or them, so we preach, so you believe the essential nature of the gospel, that Christ died and was buried and has been raised again. That is his anthem, and it has been from day one. And Jesus came and got him on that road, as to one untimely born, as to one born in the wrong year, he says, as it were. I wasn't an apostle with Jesus in the places that the other apostles followed him and ate with him and experienced his ministry, but he has revealed himself to me nonetheless. And this is proof, y'all, not just that Paul's credible, but this is proof that God's grace really does change everything. Y'all see the, the sticking point here in this scripture as it relates to everything else? Remember what Paul's enemies were saying about him? He persecuted the church He's not worthy to be called an apostle. And what's Paul's response to that? Yes, look at my past. I persecuted the church. I am not fit to be called an apostle. He just said it. And that's precisely the point. That's absolutely Paul's point. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul did not earn his apostleship any more than he earned his salvation. All is a gift and a calling by God's grace. And that's why we can say of Paul, his past did not disqualify him from being an apostle. His terrible past actually proves the power 
of God's transforming grace. His apostleship was not based on his pedigree, on his heritage. If it was, then he would have been first in line, right? He advanced beyond all of his contemporaries when the story was all defined by I. But that's not what saved him. Only when he, only when God intervened, did the transforming grace of God change this man. And so his apostleship is testament to God's grace, which is the very message he was willing to die to preach. And so we see at the end of Galatians 1, we see this um, with a little flesh and bone on it here. Look at this, verse 22. He's still recounting his history now in these early years. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. They were glorifying God because of me. What makes Paul a credible witness, an apostle? It's not that he's glorious. It's not that they would glorify him. But they're glorifying God because of him. Only the power of divine mercy could have changed a man like this. That's his testimony. And it's a genuine picture of not, y'all, not just what the gospel says, but what the gospel does, what God's grace does. It really does save and transform. Nobody achieves their way to God. If they could, Paul would have already. He didn't need a Damascus Road experience. He would have already been in. But that's not how you get to God. No one comes through the door on the basis of pedigree or worthiness or good works or good intentions. We come by grace. And again, remember the flip side of that. No one is shut out for being unworthy. Because that's how grace works also. We don't get in for our goodness. We're not shut out because of our badness. By the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am new. This is Paul's testimony. And if you trust in Jesus, it's your testimony too, just the same. No matter what I was or wasn't before him, I has turned to he. God was pleased to reveal his son in me. And therefore, I am saved because he is good. And he delights to give his grace to all who receive it. Let's pray. Father, I I pray this morning, we pray together that we would take great instruction from Paul's own story. Lord, I pray more than just a, a, a passing interest in the details for us, but that we would see deeply into this grace, the grace that saved the Apostle Paul. Lord, I, I trust that maybe no one in this room has had such a dramatic, tangible experience, a blinding light, an audible voice. Um, I sure haven't. But I pray, Lord, that we would not see ourselves as as second class, as junior varsity somehow. Father, regardless of of whether we've had a dramatic or a very boring, mundane uh, journey to this place, Father, if, 
if we have looked to Jesus Christ and received the forgiveness of sins and the new birth that is in Him, Father, we are walking miracles. We are living and breathing trophies of Your glory and Your grace. I pray, Lord, that we would reflect this morning together on the fact, Lord, that that um, by the grace of God, we are what we are. Not, not nice people who worked hard to get nicer. Not even bad people who worked hard to be good people. Or we are uh, sinners who are saved, rescued, delivered made new by the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, given to us freely and fully because of your great love for us. And I pray, Father, that, that just like Paul, we could say with, um, with confidence, the grace of God did not come to me in vain, did not prove vain, Lord, your grace changed him. He was never the same. And I pray, Lord, that we would take this to heart. We have not only received you today and trusted you, but Lord, you've given your spirit to us to make us new, to make us walk in newness of life. That, Lord, we would be imperfect as we are, that we would be a, a, a living testimony of a divine power that really does change everything. And I pray, Lord, that where we, where we struggle to, um, to see this change, Father, that we would not look more deeply into ourselves to muster it up, but that we would keep looking to Jesus Christ and making Him our aim, our love, our delight, to obey Him and to, to worship Him and Lord, that we would trust that it's your grace that saves and your grace that transforms both. And so, Father, where, where, we, are, where we are weak, Father, where we continue to entertain uh, temptation and sin, Father, where we are prone to drift, Lord, bring us right now, bring us back to center to the one who set us apart and called us by grace and has been revealed in us and to us. And Lord, let Jesus be our, our everything so that his light might shine through us just as you did in your apostle Paul. Father, this is not us. This is Christ in us. And so, Lord, help us to see the difference that we might live accordingly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.